Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast, episode number two. Thanks to everyone who commented positively on the first episode. I'm glad you guys enjoyed it. My initial plan was going to be surfing around the internet to find positive stories to share. Then a couple things happened that caused me to change direction. The first was that my youngest sister mentioned a Facebook page with a similar format, which is fantastic. The more positivity out there, the better. But I'd like my podcast to be somewhat original. The second thing that happened was that people said they really enjoyed the first episode and couldn't wait for me to do some interviews. I hadn't planned on doing any interviews, but you guys wanted to hear them. So I reached out to some people I know who I thought had an interesting story to share, and they were on board. And they suggested that I reach out to people that they knew. So now I've got interviews lined up, which is just unbelievable. And more people are agreeing each day. It's very flattering, and I'm grateful for the suggestions. Thank you all. I'm aiming to do an episode a week and upload it each Sunday. Today's interview is with Jessica Bourne, a forensic investigator with the Richmond Police Department. Jessica and I worked on the same homicide team. The first case she and I worked together was a dead guy found on the floor of an abandoned house. He decomposed some, but it looked like he had a hole in his head. Then Jessica found a shell casing on the floor. As it turned out, the hole in the guy's head came from hungry animals and the shell casing was an old one. Jessica also is the model for one of the characters in my novels, so I'll upload her character photo along with this podcast. But enough of me just rambling on. Here's my interview with Jessica. Thanks for listening. Hey, Jessica, how are you? I'm good. Good. Do you want to introduce yourself and um, tell us who you are and where you're from? How old are you? Are you? Yeah, so my name is Jessica Bourne. I am 27 years old. I'm from Richmond, Virginia. I currently work with the Richmond Forensic Unit, and I've been here about four years now. Okay, and about a couple years ago, or was it a year ago, you found out some information, didn't you? Yeah, so uh, it was about almost a year ago, actually in August, that I got some um, unfortunate news um, that I was diagnosed with breast cancer and uh, I found it um, you know just as hopefully most girls do just doing their monthly checks and just kind of kept an eye on it my mom's a nurse so kind of told her about it and did, did it run in your family did you or is that a, something that you normally do I know most women should do their checks is that something you do it anyway yeah so I've been doing it ever since um, I was about 16, 15 years old and no, it doesn't run in my family. And I had just gotten some genetic testing results back and I am the only one in my family to have this. Unbelievable. Yeah. So yeah, I got the, the luck of the draw on this one and you know, the only way to really fight through something like this is just to stay positive and, you know, just live every day, you know, to the fullest. Now, didn't you, were you doing an experimental drug? Is that what they started you out on? How did that work? Yeah, so, you know, normally they just do uh, chemotherapy. You know, sometimes you get radiation, and then if you choose to do surgery. But uh, I was very fortunate enough that there was a research study going on for uh, younger females going through breast cancer um, to see if this experimental drug would help um, in the earlier stages of finding breast cancer, would it, um, if this drug would um, increase your chances of it going away. 
Um, so, I mean, mine was a stage two to three is kind of what they rated it at. Um, and I'm just going to think that I got the drug and not the placebo because within a month, you know, that thing was gone pretty much. So. And did how many, how often did you have to go to the doctor? What did we, it was more and then it was less? Yeah. So I went for treatment. So I went as on three different types of drugs. So the research drug, and then I did 12 weeks of Taxol. And then every, every, was it every other week? It was like an AC um, drug is what they call it. Um, and, or every four weeks, sorry. And um, so it was a total of six months of being on chemo and then surgery. And were you on chemo and um, drugs you had to take by mouth as well? So the last drug is what they call the red devil, which is the harshest of the chemos. Um, so just to help with some of the side effects, they did give some medicine just to kind of help with that. And what kind of effects did it have on you? Because I know you still you still stayed at work, correct, with the Richmond Police Department. Yeah. So unfortunately, I was um, considered essential, so I couldn't stay home. And again, luck of the draw, COVID hit right after I got diagnosed. I was going to say, so I know I, this happened right during the pandemic. So in addition to everybody yeah. else being being susceptible to it, you were probably more so susceptible based on your immune system. Is that correct? Yeah. So on top of just the, the thought of getting cancer again, I have a thought of now getting COVID, even though I've gotten the vaccine. I have this, you know frightening fear that I'm going to get COVID and God forbid what happens if that does happen. Um, so COVID hit and I had to still go into work every day with people telling me it's not real. Oh, it's okay. I'm a huge hugger. I just want to hug everybody and let them know I'm okay. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it was definitely hard to, you know, sit there and not do work, even though I was physically there. Did it exhaust you as well, a lot of the medication or a lot of the chemo? Yeah, so um, I got it on a Wednesday, and a lot of the side effects didn't hit till, you know, Friday or Saturday, so it definitely tires you out. Um, it can definitely make you feel sick, not to the point where I was, like, throwing up, like they show in the movies. They give you medicine for that mm -hmm. um, during the treatments. Um, so I wasn't physically sick, um, but it definitely makes your appetite not as, you know, you're not as hungry all the time. Um, I was on steroids, um, so the weight gain was awful um, just because of how fast they push the drug into your system. Mm -hmm. um, the very first time I received treatment, I had a really bad reaction and basically... I, I would say I like passed out because I don't really remember what happened. Um, but they had to put me on oxygen and more fluids. And so they had to put me on double steroids. So the weight gain on top of, you know, being tired, you can't really go to the gym like you normally do and not eating. So how did it affect you mentally as far as because I know I know you've always been very super outgoing person, always happy all the time. Um mm -hmm. 
but it seemed to me like you kept that up a lot as well. And I know it was hard on you. I know a lot of times you would get down and depressed, um, but I don't think you showed it very often. Yeah, so I think once I got the news, you know, I had my few days of, okay, I got to cry this out. This is, you know, the hardest thing I'm going to deal with. But I knew, you know, God gives you, you know, tough things that, you know, only you can, that he knows you can handle. So I basically was like, I'm, I can do this. I have the greatest support system in the world. I have, you know, the RPD family by my side, you know, and I have to be strong for them. I can't see me be down because if I'm down, then they're going to worry even more. Mm -hmm. So um, if you're not laughing, you're crying. And, you know, I know if I'm having a bad day, someone's having a worse day. So why am I worried? Did you ever feel like you could not beat it? In the beginning, yes. Um, but towards the end, once I was getting um, better results, then I knew I was fine. And then so tell us, are you fine now? Is it completely in remission? Yeah, so uh, after, on August 3rd, is when I had my double mastectomy, and they said that, they call it um, NED, uh, no evidence detected, so I am technically cancer-free. And that's fantastic. And does it, just, yes. does it keep you on edge? Do it, is there a chance it could come back, and do you always fear that it could? How does that kind of... What yeah, so I mean, I've had mental breakdowns um, of thinking that it's there, and um, I have to be, you know, reminded that there, there literally is no tissue there. You know, it's not going to come back. Um, but because it's breast cancer, um, there's a chance, you know, you could have ovarian cancer. Um, so in the future, you know, there's always that possibility that there could be some something more and you know, but I, I just stay positive and know I'm, I'm okay today. You know, I don't need to worry about tomorrow. And remind people again, how old you were when you were diagnosed with this. So I was 26 when I was diagnosed. 26 with no, no family history at all. None. What would you recommend to women to do? Oh, absolutely. Do your monthly checks. Um, I think that's the biggest thing that you can do because you know your body inside and out. And if a doctor's telling you something and you know that there's something wrong, be your advocate for yourself because the only way you're going to get answers and treatment is if you fight for yourself. What organizations, if any of the listeners out there are fighting cancer now, um, would you recommend that helped you out? Because I know you had a lot of help and support. I mean, my family and RPD were my biggest support yeah. right now. Um, bon Secours is where I got my treatment. Um, and they had, you know, somewhat support groups. Um, but it was mainly the nurses were my support groups right. at the time. And they were just, you know, the shoulder to cry on because during COVID, they wouldn't allow family in. So wow. I had to sit at a window or in a room by myself. So while they're pushing drugs into your system, they were your shoulder to cry on. So are fine. There, Go ahead. I'm sorry. Are, are there any groups out there that you know of um, with other cancer survivors that you know uh, come together? 
I'm not trying to put you on the spot. I was just curious. No, you're fine. So I know um, AYA is for um, younger cancer patients. Um, they have, I guess you just email their foundation and they'll set you up with if any um, activities that they're doing. They have, you know, their yearly um, banquet or if it's that, um, they do Zoom meetings and um, there's the Cancer Patient Podcast which is super helpful, especially when you, you know, I've gone through something like that week and it just, it kind of hits you that week of like, okay, I got this. Mm -hmm. Well, you're just amazing. And well, thank you. I'm proud of you. And I think it's just awesome. Do you want to add anything else I didn't think to um, ask you or tell? I mean, if you're, when you're going through something like this, I think it's just super important just to stay positive and just hold on to your family and friends um, that you hold dear because um, they're going to be the ones to help you through all this like Jamie helped me <laughs> well thanks a lot I really appreciate it <laughs> oh you definitely helped me through this all right well I think you helped a lot of people see the uh, the brighter side of everything I I hope so you definitely did all right well thank you very much well, thanks for having me. All right. Bye-bye. And that's it, guys. I hope you enjoyed Jessica's interview. She's an amazing person and, above all else, a fighter. You guys stay safe and look out for one another. Never forget that there are more good people in the world than bad. You just need to ignore the hate and the ignorance. Thanks for listening.